not Mike Matheson. It's Ian Boisvert, and this is episode 21 of The Build. Thanks again for tuning back in. Move this mic down. I thought it was in a good spot, and it's not. That's better. Uh, thanks for tuning back in. If you're a regular, and if this is your first time, uh, thanks again for giving it a shot. I appreciate it. Um, mostly because this episode is uh, fueled mostly by the people who listen to it. I couldn't think of anything to talk about, so I put out a call for questions, and... You guys did not disappoint. We're going to get to those. Um, it's the bulk of the show, honestly. Um, one thing I noticed in all of them is that the general theme behind them is sort of, well, now what? Which is totally valid because I think that's what this podcast will, you know, always aim to answer. Well, now what are you doing? It's always going to be a forward-looking podcast. As much as we often have to look back to the past front office to find a sort of uh, control group, um, we're always looking forward. Um, so I appreciated that. I think every question I was asked was a forward looking question. It's not so much, well, could they have done this differently? Um, but first I do have to talk about the Canadians Twitter account and I wish I didn't, um, (laughs) on Saturday night, in case you missed it on Saturday night at about 7 PM, the Canadians tweeted in English and in French, guess who with a question mark. Um, I think everyone took this to be their uh, eyeball emoji equivalent tweet, like what the the, the Chicago franchise does from time to time. Um, the speculation machine ramped up immediately after that happened. I saw people thought PK was coming back. Um, some people thought they were going to announce Nick Suzuki as captain, and I sort of thought that a 7 p.m. on a Saturday would be a weird time to do that. Um, 7 p.m. on a Saturday would be a a normal time to announce that Carey Price was going to start the season if you chose to do so. He is Mr. Saturday Night. That ha- that thought hadn't even occurred to me when this, um, you know, Twitter issue was occurring. Um, some people thought it was a Cole Caulfield extension. I honestly think that one of those might be in the works. They're allowed to start signing him to that now. Um, I think if the Canadians were wise, they would try to get that done, considering all of the other RFAs who are begging to get out of their current situations. That tweet from the Canadians was nothing more than a reflection of what the end user wanted the most, right? Like, Habs fans looked at that tweet, and they saw in it what they wanted to see. Um, and unfortunately for the Canadians, um, their social account, that is, that Mike Matheson was not one of the answers um, that people gave. Um, he was checking out the Habs dressing room in a Habs sweater for the first time, which is very cool. Um, it was really weird that they decided to do that. Now, I don't know, because then the video of, was released of Mike Matheson holding the phone, typing in guess who, and then saying, hey, Habs fans, it's Mike Matheson. I, I don't know if that was his idea. If it was, kudos to him, because that's really funny. If it was the Canadian social team's idea, I think that they, um, I think they have a good grasp on their they're following, right? Like we all, we all ate. They said they didn't mean to create a, a Twitter meltdown, but I, I disagree. I think that they, they, they enjoyed that, and rightfully so, right? Like, I thought, you know, in, in, at first, everyone was real mad. I think some people are still kind of mad about it, to be honest. Um, um, it was, it was nice to see Matheson wearing the jersey that he drew, he grew up rooting for. Um, his child was learning to walk in the dressing room and had a his number eight on with a nameplate that said "Daddy" on it. Like it, it, it was sweet. It's nice that the Canadians have these these moments. Um, 
you know, with their players and they, they want to share them with the fan base. Um, it was tough not to be mad about it at first, not only because like they didn't have any actual news, but that the guess who tweet came about 30 minutes before they told us what we were supposed to be guessing. Um, I was making dinner right as it was happening, and I right, right as I was done making dinner, it was it popped up. So I just had to like stare at my phone for a half hour and wait for what was going to happen. Um, I think honestly, in the future, the execution just needs to be a little bit cleaner. Uh, you know, with 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 respect to like, if you're going to do a tweet like that, maybe have the other one lined up immediately to fire it off, so that we're not sitting around waiting to see if you traded one of our favorite players or. You know, that sort of thing. But that's the social team's job, right? Like they, it worked. We're all talking. I'm still talking about it. That's, that's half of what social media is for, right? It's just all attention is good um, for better or worse. I'm not mad about it now. I think honestly, it's a bit of a wake up call and maybe a sign that the Canadians don't really have a ton cooking at the moment, right? Like I feel like if, if Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon had a move in the can, like they have something ready to come out or, or on the verge of coming out. I don't think that the social team is sending this out. Um, but we have all these things that we'd like them to do. And I don't think that that's always in line with what Montreal is going to do. Um, maybe they're content with the team they have with just the, the contracts they have left to sign. I do think it's a genuinely funny troll by the Canadians. And it, if it, if it was Matheson's idea, hats off to him because I think he gets it, right? Like he gets what this fan base is about and he knows what's going to set them off. If if he was the one that came up with that, boy, I'm 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 all in on this player all of a sudden. That's really funny. Um okay. That was really all we had for Canadians news. Canadians direct news. I'm about to make a bunch of things about the Canadians that aren't, but um but let's move to those. So Last episode, I talked a great deal about Pierre-Luc Dubois and, and his situation in Winnipeg and his status as a restricted free agent. Um, this past week, Dubois agreed to his qualifying offer of $6 million for one season. It's funny, the, the Twitter account for the Jets, they tweeted with an average annual value of $6 million. And I was like, how did they calculate that one? That's crazy. Um, it takes him into his final RFA year. Uh, as a member of the JIT, so when it expires, he'll be an RFA. For the time being, that rules out an offer sheet, and I, I'm of the belief that it hold, it rules out a holdout. He can't he can't not show up to training camp. I mean, he could. He just wouldn't get any money, and they'd suspend him. But you know, he has at least agreed to, in principle, show up and work for the Winnipeg Jets. Now. He did agree in principle to show up and work for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and we saw how well that worked, right? Like, I don't know to what extent we can expect Pierre-Luc Dubois to be entirely engaged in Winnipeg. We'll see. But we've, we've kind of seen this movie play out before, and it ends with a half-out-the-door uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois playing like he's halfway out the door. Um, I'm generally, I'm genuinely shocked that he accepted his qualifying offer and his intent his intent is to play for the Winnipeg Jets because he's risking playing injury for a team who he does not want to commit to long term and he's risking injury without a long term guarantee in the bag right like he doesn't he doesn't he's he's on a one year deal 
if he gets hurt at the beginning of this year, what's his deal going to look like at the end of it? Um, but it also allows him to bet on himself and potentially get a pay raise next year um, before doing this whole thing all over again as an RFA and then heading into a UFA. Um, he ultimately can't control a, a trade. It doesn't even, again, like I don't think I've, I've read, heard, seen anything that's, that has said that Pierre-Luc Dubois has requested a trade out of Winnipeg. Um, so, you know, this, as I said last week, the most probable path for Dubois to Montreal is through free agency in two seasons. I think that's the most um, probable. The second most probable is a trade. An offer sheet, which I had at 1%, is now out the window. Cannot happen right now. Um, Winnipeg doesn't want to deal him for peanuts. Montreal isn't going to give up the farm for a lateral move. Apparently, the the Jets, as we've said before, want a player that Montreal is unwilling to deal. Because they Montreal wants Dubois to be an improvement to this team, not a replacement for a young player already in the lineup, right? Like, they don't see... Like, you're not trading for Dubois because you think he's a an upgrade on Suzuki or an upgrade on Caulfield. You're, you're adding him. You want him as a complement to those players. So we'll just have to wait and see. That was always, it seems like this is going to take a long time. Um, two years is a long time in hockey, so we'll see where this ends up. Um, but it'll be interesting to, to keep an eye on him and, you know, the, is he actually playing out this is he actually putting in an effort and playing or just going through the motions like he did in his last, last few days in Columbus? Um, so we'll see. Uh, up next, Jonathan Huberto. Um, I'll skip to one portion of our mailbag segment for this because I think it sets up the next this whole conversation really nicely. The wonderful uh, Laura Saba, also known as the Active Stick on Twitter and one half of the Locked on Canadians podcast brought to you by Bill Barr, asks... What shall we, as a community, replace Pierre-Luc Dubois discourse with? And the answer to that is easy. It's Jonathan Huberdeau discourse. Um, over the weekend, one of the biggest trades in the cap era um, just happened. It seemed like it materialized out of nowhere. We had been hearing rumors that Matthew Kachuk was probably going to get traded soon. But you, in hockey, that you know, they were saying that Matt Duchesne was going to get traded soon out of, uh, out of Colorado. And it took like six months to figure that out. Um, but Matthew Kachuk and a uh, fourth round draft pick go to the Panthers in exchange for Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger, a prospect and a 2025 first round draft pick. Matthew Kachuk signed an eight year deal with Calgary before the trade to Florida as part of the first sign in trade in NHL history. That's what GM of the Flames, Brad Living said. And that's case in point number, like that's, that's an a perfect example of why I think, and a lot of people think, NHL general managers are bad at their jobs. This was the first time ever that somebody's done this, where somebody has exercised that ability to sign a player to um, an eight-year contract, which is the, Calgary was the only team that could have signed Kachuk to that term, and then move him as part of that contract, as part of that agreement he's being dealt to this team. Um, interesting salary structure for Kachuk's contract he has a cap hit of nine and a half million dollars a year but every season comes with one million dollars in actual salary 
like annual salary. The rest is all paid out in signing bonuses. So it's it's very signing bonus heavy. Someone would need to explain to me like what the what the reasoning for that is, other than like Matt Kachuk just gets a big lump sum of money every once in a while. Um, plus, you're living in Florida; none of it's getting taxed, so it's got to be pretty big for him. Um, Huberto and Uyghur going the other way back to Calgary are both UFAs at the end of the year. So, my first reaction when this trade happened was, I don't know why either team did this, right? Like, I don't, I don't really understand. Florida's desire to add this talent at at the expense of like another talented player they already had who was who wanted to stay in Florida and Jonathan Huberto and also Mackenzie Weger who's a very very good defenseman like Florida's top four for defense next year is really bad and they're relying on Aaron Ekblad to stay healthy which is something that he has not historically been able to do and they're relying on either Sergei Bobrovsky to be consistently good, which that's a really tough bet to make, or you're you're relying on their 21-year-old, um, you know, up-and-coming franchise goalie to not have a sophomore slump. So, like, it's tough. I don't, I don't get this for Florida, to be honest. I mean, Matthew Kachuk's great, and the cap hit isn't even that bad. I just don't know, if, I don't know how Matt Kachuk makes them better. I don't know how how the sum of of those parts leaving and and what Matthew Kachuk brings in makes them better. I don't see it. Um, so Huberto and Weger both UFAs at the end of the season, as I said, um, that's a big risk for Calgary in the sense that they might lose them. But let's well let's go through that. If if Calgary is as bad as as I think they're going to be this year, then they'll flip them at the deadline and they'll get good good parts for them. Um, and they'll be dealt for futures, which if they're selling at the deadline, that's kind of what they're going to want. Um, if they're selling at the deadline, they're probably looking at a rebuild anyway. So this is a good trial run to see what they can do. Um, the worst case scenario is that the Flames are in a playoff spot at the deadline and Huberto and Weger don't want to stick around long term. Because then you're like, do we hold on to them and go for it and try to win a cup? Or do we trade them while we're in a playoff spot and sink our opportunity at making the playoffs and making a run at the cup? It'll be really tough. Uh, apparently, after that trade happened, Jonathan Huberto wasn't all that happy. I'll quote David Dwork, uh, who covers the Panthers locally, quote, As the dust settles from the Panthers' flame block- blockbuster, I'm told Jonathan Huberto isn't particularly happy with how everything played out. There were some early informal extension talks, but Huberto's camp was waiting for an offer that never came. The next call was the trade. That has a very Vegas Golden Knights feel to it, doesn't it? Like, Huberto, you know, I think I think of him as like the first piece of, of this current core of the Panthers. You know, I know everybody looks at, at, at Barkoff as that guy, but I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Huberto was drafted earlier than that. Um. And you know he's been he's been with this team forever. He from from that 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 tweet from David Dwork, he wanted to stick around, and they 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 kicked him to the curb for the new shiny toy, which is so, so Vegas. Like Vegas is, has been the team that's been um, the poster child for that. And I don't know why 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 any team in the league would look at what Vegas is doing and say that it's successful. They missed the playoffs last year, and they're in in cap shambles right now 
Like, there's no reason to, to emulate what Vegas is doing. So I don't understand this from Florida's perspective. Um, although on Monday when Uyghur and Huberto both met with the media as new Calgary Flames, both said that they were open to signing extensions that would likely need to get done before training camp. This is just me extrapolating at this point. Players hate negotiating during the season. It drives them nuts. Like, you, you hear it all the time. Like, they just don't want to do it. Um, they want to focus on playing hockey. So I can't imagine this is going to be all that different. I'd be surprised if they signed midseason. Um, which then leads us to the thing I'm going to make it about, which is the Montreal Canadiens. Huberdeau, wait for it, is from Montreal, right? Um, his family, they're all Habs fans. Um, you know, if you look up his draft stories about, you know, when he wanted, because he, he wanted to go to Florida. And partly, you know, in his draft year, part part of that, as he explained, was that his family would all hop in an RV and drive down to Florida to see the Panthers play the Canadians. They would go to see the Canadians, but, you know, you're around the Panthers enough, you, you kind of have a little bit of a soft spot for them. Um, you have to imagine that if Huberto makes it to free agency next summer, the Canadians are, have to have an offer for him, right? Like, does that pull the shoot on the Pierre-Luc Dubois discussion? Perhaps. I can't say for sure. Um, but with the cap going up in a few years, barring another apocalypse type scenario, it's possible they could afford both. Um, they'll have a lot of bad cap hits coming off over the next three, four years. Um, after this season, so, you know, in the summer of 2023, they'll have $20 million, $21.5 million in cap space, give or take a little bit. Um, with people left to sign, but not a boatload. Most notably, Cole Caulfield is a restricted free agent next summer. Um, so to circle back to Laura's question, our relationship with Pierre-Luc Dubois is over for now. And Jonathan Huberdeau is our new best friend. Um, I'm sure if you, like, search for, search my tweets, I've been talking Jonathan Huberdeau to Montreal into existence for a long time. I think I went on Locked on Canadians last summer, and I said Jonathan Huberdeau was going to get traded to Montreal. Um, so there's that. And if it happens, I'm going to say I was in, out in front of it the whole time. All right. The rest of the show is a mailbag. Um, thanks to everyone who submitted questions. There's a bunch of them. Um, some of them are similar, so I, I did my best to try to condense the answers. Um, there's a couple about Paul Byron, so we're going to start there. The incomparable D.F. Pendries asks, what do the Canadians have to do to keep Paul Byron on the team? Who has to go instead? Um, my initial thought is that he's going to stick around at least for the first bit of the season, as he's likely starting the season on IR. Eric Engels reported about a week ago that training camp is in doubt for Byron as he's healing from a lower body injury. Um, with Kirby Doc still left to sign, they may need to use his cap hit as IR space um, to get him signed if no one else is on the way out. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Like if I'm if I'm looking at reasons to keep Byron around, that's one of them. Um, although I wonder if it's more of a I don't think it's more of a question of needing to keep Byron around as much as it is like I don't I don't know who's going to trade for him at this point in his career. But if he's playing and he's healthy and he's playing well, we might look at we might be looking at a trade deadline deal um to send Paul Byron to a, a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup. He's a value. I think if he bounces back this season, he was real hurt last year. Um if he bounces back next season and he plays with pace at which is what Paul Byron loves to do. He's just, he's, he's a sugar rush. He just goes from, you know, zero to 60, like no other player on this team. 
Um, he's a valuable piece to a team that's trying to win a Stanley Cup. Um, if not him, Armia and Hoffman are guys with comparable cap hits who would likely need to go in order to make space. Lots on them later. I don't think we've heard the, the last of those two names this summer. But in reality, I'd imagine Hughes and, and, and the rest of the front office want to clear as much cap space as they possibly can. Um, I, 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 I don't think there's a contract that they're really married to at this point, other than maybe Nick Suzuki's really long-term extension that kicks in this year. Um, but outside of that, I think anything is really up for grabs. Any of like the big, the big cap hits, you, you get over $3 million. And I think, you know, they, they take any sort of offer that makes sense to them. Uh, DF has a couple more questions later. We'll get to those. One more on Byron um, from Beth of happy hour fame. What will Paul Byron's superhero movie be uh, called? And will he be part of the DC or Marvel universe? Um, DF replied to that, letting me know that if I pick the wrong universe, they are boycotting the pro- the podcast. I'll do my best. For those who aren't aware yet, I'll put a link down in the description. Paul Byron was involved in the rescue of a pilot of a crashed plane this weekend. Um, he was out fishing with his in-laws and some friends, and the a plane went down into the water. Initial reports claim Byron was the main part of the rescue effort, but Byron took to Twitter afterwards to let everyone know what actually happened. Uh, this is Byron's statement. I want everyone to know that it was Serge Labelle who rescued the pilot and should be recognized for his heroic actions. My father-in-law, brother-in-law, friend, and I assisted in the rescue, as well as many incredible others on the shore. Serge is the hero. Thank you to everyone for the kind messages. I want to wish the pilot all the best in his recovery. Um, so that was a, that's a wild story, man. Like I can't, I don't, I can't remember the last time something like this happened. Um, it's also interesting to me, I, I, and it's, it's funny thinking this, but like, he's hurt, right? Like he's got a lower body injury. He's going to miss the start of training camp. Part of me wonders how involved he was in this. Not in the sense that I don't think he was involved at all. I wonder if he did quite a bit and he doesn't want the Canadians, he doesn't want to give the impression that like, you know, he's he is hurt at the moment, right? Like he, he can't be out there rescuing guys from crashed planes. That doesn't, that won't track. So I, I, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. I'm glad the the pilot is okay. I'm glad that, you know, anyone was there to rescue him. It's just very funny that you crash your plane and a professional hockey player is there to, to help you out. It's very strange. I hate to let everyone down, but the comic book universes have never really done anything for me. With that said, I, Paul Byron gives me big Ant Man vibes. Um, that's just that's just in my in my brain. He is Paul Rudd in Ant Man. Now, if we went with Dave Ogier's suggestion, also of Happy Hour fame, he just mentioned Star Wars. I say I think he might be onto something because in this instance, Paul Byron could be a Yoda figure if he rescued the pilot from the wreck and then taught him the ways of the Jedi, or in Byron's case, the shorthanded breakaway. Uh, very cool story, nonetheless. Um, this question is peak off-season content. This is this is what we do in July and August. Is we just we make up stories about how, yeah, yeah. Paul Byron definitely helped with that plane crash, but it's going to evolve to the point where it's where uh, uh, Paul Byron jumped in the water head first and and swam out there and rescued him, and the plane exploded. And you know, it's 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 just like any other fishing trip, which is what they were doing. Right. Well, you know, you catch a fish and it's this big and it's, you know, you caught a 
bluegill. I'm rambling now. Um, back to DS. Next question, because I think it might inform some of our later answers. Has the trade market for salary dumping forwards really collapsed? And I think it's really hard to view a reality where that isn't the case. Nine teams in the NHL are currently over the salary cap of $82.5 million. Another six teams, another six teams, excuse me, are within $2 million of the cap. You can put Montreal in that group because that's where they sit. Um, half of the league can't afford to take on a, a salary, like a big, a big salary and a salary dump without another cap hit going back the other way. Uh, Arizona and Anaheim are currently under the salary floor. Anaheim's well under it. I think they're under it by like 4 million bucks. So they would be your best bets as far as a salary dump trade. But even they don't want to eat bad money unless it's really worth it to them. Um, so moving bad money like Armia's deal, which I, I can't, I cannot believe it. Three more years at $3.4 million per season. Like that's, you know, what's wild. I, I, Armia got the contract Lekkonen should have, and Lekkonen got the contract that Armia should have. They signed those, like, pretty close to each other, too. They needed to be flipped. Um, and Hoffman's, two more years at $4.5 million. It's going to be tough to move those because their values could not be any lower right now. So you're really just trading a dead cap hit. Um. So I don't know. I think it's going to be real tough to move money out, but they've got to do something because they've got Kirby Doc left to sign. I'm sure they have other work they want to get done. That they this salary, the salary issue is keeping them from doing it. I'm just checking my phone because I feel like Kent Hughes is about to do something as I'm recording this podcast. Um, last question from DF that also goes with some of the other questions that folks have asked. Uh, if no changes were made as of today. Who are the six or seven Canadians defenders on opening night? I'll start with the locks. I feel like that's the easiest. I think there are four locks to make the team. Um, Edmondson, Weidman, Savard, and Matheson. Those are all, if they're healthy, they're in, right? Like those guys are always playing. That only gives Montreal two more spots and a bench spot to use on four young guys. Actually, let me back up a second. Weidman, I, I don't think, is a lock to be a regular in the lineup, but I feel like he's going to start the season at least. Um, but anyway, gives Montreal two more spots in the active lineup and a bench roster spot to use on essentially four young guys. And then Corey Schooneman really is is one of their tweeners. Um, Jordan Harris, Justin Barron, Matthias Norlander, and Caden Gooley. So you have to pick. You have to pick between those, and some of them are just going to have to go back down to Laval. I'm sure that Montreal isn't looking at it like, man, this is a terrible problem. I'm sure they're looking at it as there are some guys we really want to send to Laval. Um, if I had to pick today, I'd say Harris and Gooley make the team. Baron and Norlander start in the, in in Laval. The, I'm I'm fully buying the hype on on Caden Gooley, much to the dismay of of Justin Baron. Norlander, I just feel like, needs more time. He just hasn't had a lot of time playing in North America. I want him to, to really just, I'm sure the Canadians do too, like just play North American professional hockey for a little bit. My my heart tells me Gooley makes the team. My brain tells me that's Baron instead of him. Um, and Corey Schooneman as the extra. So my final answer on July 25th as of this recording is... Joel Edmondson, Chris Weidman, David Savard, Mike Matheson, Jordan Harris, Caden Gooley, 
Corey Schooneman as the extra. All right. Next, friend of the show, uh, Kay, at Line Composition, uh, has some deep dive questions that I will jump into. Uh, could you down the roster or even your projected top six and top two pairings and say what you need to see from them in order for this coming season, in, in this coming season, sorry, for, uh, to think they're successful? I think this pairs pretty well with the last question, so let's start on defense. I'll do two defensemen here, and I don't even know if they'll necessarily be the top pair. I feel like they will, but who knows what St. Louis rolls out there. Uh, for Joel Edmondson, he really has to be a leader on the back end. Um, if he's healthy, that's the guy that Montreal's going to roll out 25, 26, 27 minutes a night, right? Like, he's just going to have to be that guy. Um, he's going to have to stop the bleeding at times. He's probably going to have to stand up for his teammates a bunch. So Joel Edmondson, it's not going to be a season where we look at his numbers and judge him based on like goals, assists, points, anything like that. It's going to be a season where we, we see how well he handles playing with the younger guys, taking care of a younger team, um, perhaps mentoring a younger captain. It might be, I, I still feel like Nick Suzuki is going to be the captain of this team and that Joel Edmondson will be a very a steady voice in the locker room as well. Uh, and I think, personally, I think that top pairing is going to be Edmondson and Mike Matheson. So the, the, the two-son pairing, that's fun. Um, I think he's going to be, he's going to be the Petrie to Edmondson, you know, it's not just because they traded for him, but the style that they play. Um, so I'll say that his main goal is going to be to transition the Canadians from defense to offense because there's not, God bless Joel Edmondson. I don't think that's a strength of his, uh, he does, Edmondson does a lot of things well. I was not very high on him when they signed him. He really, really convinced me and proved me wrong that he is an effective defenseman in the NHL. However, Mike Matheson provides a different element. He's going to try to move things out of his zone um, with his skating, with his puck moving. That's what he was brought in to do. If he's able to do that, regardless of the point totals, we'll be okay. Um, let's look at the forwards. I just took six forwards who some of, I think most of these will be in the top six, but some I'm just I just think are interesting discussions to have moving forward. Um, Suzuki, I don't really know how you can have like expectations or goals for him at this point. Just keep growing. Just keep getting better. He's on an upward trajectory that I don't think we've seen in Montreal in a long time. Um, he's going to play a, a two a, a good two way game, score some big goals. That's a that's a winning season for Suzuki. See if you can set a new career high in points. Um, just try to bring some consistency to the Canadians offense. Speaking of consistency, Cole Caulfield, uh, I think he needs to find some of that consistency last year. The first half was a complete write-off. Um, I personally, I don't think there's a Canadian under more pressure than Cole Caulfield. And I don't think that it's pressure that is, um, overly critical of Cole Caulfield. I just think that he really needs to, to have a season where, he shows up and shows everybody exactly who he is. He can't be the Cole Caulfield from the beginning of last season. Um, he needs to be the one that played under Marty St. Louis. The good news for, for Cole Caulfield is that he's going to continue to play under Marty St. Louis. So while he does have pressure, I do think he's, he's got a very good chance of, of outplaying that pressure and, and exceeding or meeting his expectations for this season. But we have to see it for an extended period of time. Uh, next I got Josh Anderson. I think he's got to work on his team game a little bit. He, it's funny, like from a leadership or like a, a dudes being dudes standpoint, 
he is a team player, right? Like he he'll throw hits. He loves the guys. Like he he's he he stand up for his teammates. Like that's that's the kind of guy he is. But when he's got the puck on his stick, he plays by himself. Um, there's a chance he plays with Suzuki and Caulfield up front, just because I don't think that there's a natural fit up there with them yet. But he has to learn to play with them and not just at the same time as them. A lot of times they're playing two different games. If Anderson finds a way to to be more complimentary of the players around him, I think he could be a really, really effective player. The problem is, is that he doesn't do that a lot of the time. So if he's able to do that, that's a big win for Montreal. Um, Evgeny Dodonov, really no expectations here. I, I think he has the opportunity to be like a Tatar light, you know, that, that kind of player. And if he's that, neat. I'm good. Like, he doesn't need to be anything more than that. Um, Christian Dvorak's another one who I think is under a, a, quite a bit of pressure. Um, just because he had a very similar situation to, to Cole Caulfield. Didn't play well under, under Dom Ducharme. Really started to pick it up under Marty St. Louis after he came back from injury. Um, he's got to pick up where he left off. Um, he needs to show that that's who he really is. I think he's going to get some good line mates, right? Like he's not going to be playing with, with AHL tweeners. He's going to be playing like he might get Slavkovsky to start the season. Um, he might get Jonathan Drain to start the season. He might get, uh, he might get Josh Anderson. Like he might have a, a, a good complement of wingers. Um, so it's really time for him to show what he's going to be. And, you know, whether that's him showing it to Montreal or him showing it to every other team in the league. Um, the last one for forwards that I had was Brennan Gallagher. And I just, I, I kind of wonder what he's got left in the tank. I think he's, I think he has to change his game a little bit to stay relevant in today's NHL. Not in the sense that his style of play isn't effective. It is. He goes to the net hard. He's, He's he's a pain in the ass in front of the net. The problem is is that that's taken a, a serious toll on his body, and I just don't think he I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to do that for eighty two games. So he has to find other ways to be effective. Um, I, I I consider this like we have to find he he's he needs to see if he's got a second act. He does the one thing really really well. Try to go find another thing that you do really well. I think, and if someone's going to teach him how to do that, Marty St. Louis might be one of them. Uh, those are just like my very raw thoughts on that top six. Again, I still, and this will be a theme throughout the rest of the answers to the show. Like, I don't think that that forward group is done. I don't think they're done tankering with it. So like everything comes with a grain of salt that like they might blow it up and trade three guys tomorrow. Like I just, I have no idea. Um, so another one here from Kay. Do you think it's possible for the Habs or any team really to have a net positive draft if they have the first overall pick, but pick the wrong guy who is a bust, but get several other good players from the rest of their draft picks? Um, it's a good question. Not only is it possible, I kind of think that that's one of the more likely outcomes for the Canadians. Not that not that Yaroslavkovsky becomes a bust. I I I'm a fan of this team. I am believing until I see it, until I no longer see it that he I think he's going to have a really effective NHL career. Um, but I do think that they have stronger picks elsewhere in the draft that, that could pan out to be real difference makers like, uh, like Lane Hudson, who I, I just cannot get enough of talking about that guy. 
because I think he's he's exactly what the Canadians need to move their defense into the future of the National Hockey League, or at least the present. Yeah, he's small, but I saw him in those, and I know it's just the training development, or the training or the development camp scrimmages. But dude, that guy can move. Like I can't remember another guy who could skate like that for the Montreal Canadiens on defense. Like, I don't think PK moved that well. He's a, PK was a very good skater, but I, I the, just the nimbleness that I saw in those clips, and I'll be, and we'll have to watch him throughout the season. But I, I legitimately think he, that's a piece that the Canadians have that could be a cornerstone of this team moving forward. Um, so the scenario that Kay spells out, where you have the first overall pick and you, and it, it's a bust, but the rest of the draft is still kind of is still pretty good, so it balances it out. I think that that scenario sure beats the opposite. Hitting on your first pick of great is is great. You should, but what happens if you miss on everything else? I, I and because I can't miss an opportunity to make fun of the Toronto Maple Leafs, the 2016 Toronto Maple Leafs draft is a great example of that. I was at that draft in 2016 in Buffalo. They picked Austin Matthews first. They had ten picks after that. Only two of them played five NHL games or more, and neither of those guys are with the team anymore. It was Carl Grundstrom and Adam Brooks, Montreal Canadiens legend Adam Brooks. Um, You can whiff on one pick, and I don't think it kills your draft so long as you've picked enough. Like, Montreal also drafted Philip Mayshar in the first round. You know, I don't think that they might still have a great first round even if Slefkovsky doesn't pan out. It's not ideal, and we'll be looking at it going, man, they really they really screwed that that draft pick up. But I don't think it it would be the end of the world. Um you you to to wrap on that, you can whiff on one pick, you are not allowed to whiff on 10 picks if you have 11 of them. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs whiffed on 10 draft picks in that in that draft. It's a brutal record. You should go back and look at it. Some guys only played two or three games. Um, last question from Kay. What do the Habs need to do to attract free agents? Has the struggle been partially about the Habs' reputation under Bergevin and how he treats players? I think that's certainly part of it. It's impossible to remove those things you know, from the outside looking in to parse why players aren't coming here. Although Mark Bergevin, his favorite line was, I can't make people come here. Well, you could certainly be a little bit better to deal with. Like, I, I, part of me thinks that, that, you know, we, we hear all the time that the Montreal media is brutal. And to a certain extent, I, I agree with that. I agree that they are demanding, but they're only demanding because the fans are, right? Like, they, they need the content that the fans are going to read they ask the questions that the fans want to ask themselves part of me thinks that the reason there's like such a narrative that the montreal media is brutal is because of the way that we watched the last front office particularly mark bergevin like get in front of the camera and get in front of that press that press room and just like wilt in front of the questions the very reasonable and not all that challenging questions that people would ask him like, and he would just make, he, like, he just sat there and made excuses. Like, I, I don't know what to, I don't, I, I can't parse that away from, like, the media narrative in Montreal. When, like, the general manager or the coach getting in front of the, the press and, and talking like that to the press, 
and saying things like, if you want loyalty, get a dog, or trades are hard, no one trades number one centers. By the way, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, the there was some talk about after the Pacioretty trade to, to Carolina, like there was some like um, revisionist history where like people were saying, uh, remember when people thought the Canadians lost the Max Pacioretty trade? Yeah, I do. Because we all kind of did. Because the Canadians thought that they lost the Max Pacioretty trade. They announced that trade at two in the morning. And... The player that they traded for, the, the 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 centerpiece of that trade in Nick Suzuki, wasn't even the prospect that Mark Bergevin wanted. It's been widely reported that Mark Bergevin wanted Cody Glass. And and the Knights kept saying, no, 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 no. And then he said, okay, fine, Nick Suzuki. So t- to wrap on all of that... Like, I think that, that the way Mark Bergevin interacted with the media certainly painted Montreal as a very, very bad place to be. Like, go watch some of his old press conferences. Like, he was never, outside of, like, the first couple where he was, like, jovial and making jokes with the the media, After he became so negative and just so, like, defensive and standoffish. Um, but even if, if it wasn't that that causes players not to, to come to Montreal, I think hockey players more than anything like require consistency like they they demand it of the the teams that they play for and the Canadians under Bergevin were massive peaks and massive valleys they were just wildly inconsistent like the last calendar two calendar years could not be more of an indication of that where they went to the cup final and then the next year they are the first team in NHL history to finish in 32nd place like it's just not no team is no players like yeah sign me up for that so i think just becoming more consistent across the board will help um and as i've talked as everyone's talked about there's going to be hometown talent who wants to come and play here kent hughes and jeff gorton's job is to have the team in position where they can make a reasonable offer and play to get them so that they can then come into montreal and play meaningful hockey um right like it's not so much that just that just Pierre-Luc Dubois is available in two years. It's just it's that in two years the Montreal Canadiens should be expecting to be going to be in a position where they should be going after guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois. It just so happens that he's from Montreal. Um, and you know, like always, I think there's a Canada factor in all of this that's really difficult to overcome right now for free agents wanting to come to Canada, Montreal specifically, for the taxes, of course, but. Everyone argues that there's ways around the taxes. So even outside of that, I think the pandemic scared a lot of these players because they saw Canada completely shut down and they were playing in front of empty seats. And I think a lot of them don't want to play in Canada and risk being locked down again. That's not something I I personally agree with, but I'm sure that's certainly a thing for them. That's why Petrie's gone, right? Is because the Canadian regulations or the regulations of crossing the border became really difficult for him and his family. Um, so that's, that's a long way of saying, I think that the Canadians have a lot of work to do to instill confidence in free agents that Montreal is a positive place for them to sign. Um, so thanks Kay for submitting those. Uh, Cody Plord has the next two questions. Um, with all the wingers on the roster, what should be ex- what should we be expecting moving forward? 
Habernack on Twitter had the same thought, asking, what do the Habs do with all their wingers next season? Do we have another move before training camp starts? Um, it's hard to see the Canadians coming to camp as is, and I'll talk about that when I, because I built, I built out the roster, or the, at least the starting lineups for next season, and it's just real tough because they've got too many bodies. They've got too many bodies, they've got too much cap tied up on those bodies, they need to, they need to move some salary, it's going to be tough, but, you know, they've got Doc and Primo left to sign, Primo's probably an AHL guy at the beginning of it. But it seems far more likely that they make moves soon to make cap space for those new contracts. I imagine that Kirby Doc doesn't want to play out the whole summer waiting for money to come in. Um, I think Armia and Hoffman are those guys on the outside, but those contracts are probably going to hurt a lot to move. Um, and I looked on cap friendly buyouts are not even palatable options for those guys. Like with Armia, you get a cap saving for the first few years. And then after that, it's like, after the, I think it's like three years after the contract would have ended, you have like a cap hit of $1.2 million every season. That's just not worth it. Like I discussed with DF's question earlier, money around the league is just being spent up. Um, and unless an Anaheim wants to, wants to get either of those guys, they're not, no, Montreal's kind of stuck with them. And even if Anaheim does want to get those guys or a team like Anaheim, they're not going to do it for free. Like we're talking about throwing in an asset to make that trade work. So if there's a trade involving those guys, it's likely pretty expensive and it's tough to gauge because we haven't seen Kent Hughes make one of those trades yet. He cleared a bunch of cap in the, in the Weber deal, but he got a big cap hit back for this season. I don't think that there's a lot of teams that are going to be willing to do that for a player who's healthy and won't be going on to LTIR like Weber did. Like if you have, Mike Hoffman on your team for the next two years, you have to expect that he's going to be healthy and playing and that four and a half million dollar cap hit's going to be on your books. So it's it's a mess. I don't know how they fix it. And I I it just it's it's you look back on it and you go, how did how did anybody in the Canadians organization sign off on any of this stuff? Um Cody's second question here. Sorry, I just lost my page in my notes. Where did it go? There it is. Um, where should Slavkovsky and Mayshar play since they have so many options for those two? Jeff Gordon was actually on Bob McCallum's podcast this week, and he was asked that same question. They, they were sort of fascinated by the, the, the point that Montreal has a bunch of options for Slavkovsky. They can, he can play in Montreal. He can go to Laval. He can go to the CHL and play junior and, or he can go back to Europe for a year. Um, Gordon kind of said, ideally Slavkovsky is in Laval or Montreal. Um, you know, it's not, Gordon said that it's not a given he's in Montreal to start the year, but they think they would like him to be. Um, the CHL is interesting because Slavkovsky was over in Europe playing professional hockey. It's very odd that he would go to the, the, you know, the OHL or anywhere in the, in the CHL really. I, I'm doubtful that that's the, the way they go. I'm also doubtful that that Slavkovsky would want to do that, right? He was over in in uh, in Finland playing for actual money, which he wouldn't be doing if he went to junior. Um, as for Mayshar, I'd be willing to bet he's going to the CHL. The OHL's Kitchener Rangers own his rights. I get the feeling that Montreal would like to see him play there as opposed to going back to, to Europe, but that's just my guess. 
Uh, and finally, Cody wants my guess for the day one lineups for the Montreal Canadiens. And this was really, really tough. Um, so I'll just run through my lineup. First line, I have Suzuki, Caulfield, and Evgeny Dodonov. Uh, I just think that he's a, he's a guy that, that could really complement that line. Um, the, se- the second line I call the, the, uh, the value pump line. Jonathan Drewing, uh, Christian Dvorak, and Mike Hoffman. Maybe they, all three of them can get it to work, and they all become really valuable trade chips for the Canadians. Uh, the third line, this is just one beefy line, Slavkovsky, Doc, and Anderson. Um, that would be a very punishing third line for Montreal. Um, fourth line, Pitlick, Evans, Gallagher. Standard fourth line. I mean, Gallagher, I just don't know what to do with him because they've got so many right-handed shots, and I don't. I wouldn't put him above a lot of those players. Um, Army and Pazetta, your, your healthy scratches. And again, those are just like lines one through four. It's how they're deployed that'll show us what's actually line one, one line two, line three, line four. Uh, defense, like I said, the first pairing, Edmondson, Matheson. Um, second pairing, Weidman and Harris. Third pairing, Savard, Gooley. Uh, Corey Schooneman is the extra. Uh, I'm predicting that Price and Allen are in net, so Price comes back. Montembeau on waivers to Laval. Like I said, the forwards are tough because I think there's just too much there. There's too many bodies. There's too much money. Something has to give. I'm sure we're, we'll we'll get there eventually. All right, last couple questions here. Uh, at Jeffers84 asks, uh, for a deep dive on the hires they've made and how departments have changed. Um, I've talked about some of these in the past, and I'm sure we'll, we'll learn more about what these departments are actually going to be doing. Um, but there's three areas I want to touch on. So there's um, there's a, a new director of hockey development. That was a role that did not exist beforehand. That's Adam Nicholas. So they have a skills coach for the first time. Um, they never, Montreal never had a skills coach under, under Mark Bergevin. Um, he was working with the prospects at their development camp this month. From what I understand, he's going to help young players and prospects develop by working on things that they need help with. Um, one example that I wish I had more information on, and I, I just can't seem to find it. When they first got Justin Barron, I remember reading somewhere that he had some deficiency in his skating. There, there was something in his stride that wasn't as precise as it should be. Um, once Barron got to Montreal and he was in Montreal Canadiens practice attire, uh, Adam Nicholas was working with Barron on that exact skating thing. Um, I wish I had written it down or, or, or was able to point out who pointed that out. Um, if I find it, I'll tweet it out. But I like that's the sort of thing that we should be looking at for Nicholas to be working on. And anytime you can add, you know, uh, hockey legend Murray Philippe Plain to your, uh, to your staff, you kind of have to do it. Um, for now, I know that she's working with the prospects. Again, a really great change. They're focusing a lot on their development process. They're putting a lot of time and resources into the development of their prospects. I think both Jeff Gorton and Kent Hughes understand that that's sort of, you know, the that's the direction this team needs to go in. They need to make something of the prospects that they have. Um, they added an analytics department. Uh, the hockey analytics department is now led by Christopher Boucher of sports logic fame. Uh, Philip Desolniers, I butchered that pretty poorly. And Miranda McMillan joined as head of hockey, head of hockey analytics technology and hockey data analyst respectively. Um, I'm not doing an analytics versus I test debate here, but the old front office wasn't fully utilizing this sort of department. It's more data and more data is good to have in a salary cap world. 
These are the areas where the Canadians can gain a competitive advantage on their peers because they have a lot of money and they can spend a lot of money. Um, and finally, notably the exit of, of Sean Burke, there's no department of goaltending, which existed for like four months. Um, it was never clear what Sean Burke was doing in Montreal or how his role differed from the goalie coach. Uh, Eric Raymond sticks around as the goalie coach, but man, that was so silly. Like, I don't think any other team has a department of goaltending and Montreal had it for like a week and then it was, then Burke left for Vegas or whatever. Um, so one last question from Jeffers, take a look at future UFAs and say player X will be available in two years. And that's the kind of player that Montreal needs. I like this one because I think that that's what we kind of have to look forward to, right? We expect that this year is going to be painful. Um, we expect there's going to be a lot of losses, but we expect in a few years they should be ready to start making some serious moves in the right direction. Um, so I looked at free agents this summer of 2024, and one of the names that popped off the sheet to me as a, as a guy I really, really would like in Montreal is Jake Gensel. Um, goal scoring is always something you can afford to add more of. He might be available if he feels the Penguins are out of their current window or if the Penguins just don't have enough money, eventually they're going to run out of money. They keep spending all this money. I don't know where they keep getting it from. Um, if Montreal happens to miss out on Huberdeau and Dubois, Gensel's really good. Like, he'd be a great add in Montreal. He'll be 29 then, so there's definitely some risk as far as, you know, trying to, oh, sorry, trying to sign him to a, a long-term contract. But if Montreal's turned it around and they're competing again, he'd be a great guy to add. Um, I'd really kill for another right-hand shot defenseman on this team, but the names don't really pop off the sheet. Um, Tony D'Angelo and Tyson Berry are the cream of the crop, and I'm sorry to put Tyson Berry in that sentence with Tony D'Angelo. Um, so really, defensemen, I think that Montreal's going to have to draft and develop them because I just don't see them being available free agent-wise. Trade market might be a little different. Um, one last forward that's available then. I've always really admired Tavo Teravainen's game. Um he plays a really, really solid, quiet game. I mean, he put up 65 points last year, and I just, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have guessed. He'll be 29 in two years, just like Gensel. I'd love to see him in a Canadian sweater. Uh, Sebastian Ajo's contract is also up in 2024, um, but I, I would, I do not think the Canadians would be interested. Uh, I, I bet they'd be interested, but I, I just don't think an Ajo would be available at free agency. Um, the real tough part is that after this year's free agency. I don't have a good idea of what Kent Hughes wants to do moving forward. Um, he only made a small, a few small depth ads this year because they just they have no money, like they have no cap space to spend. So I don't think this summer was a good indication of looking forward what Kent Hughes is going to try to do. Um, but you know, it's fun to dream, right? Like those would be really cool, cool ads to have in Montreal. There will come a, a time when Montreal is going to be a big player in free agency. The time is not now. Um, and with that, I think I answered every question that was sent in. Um, so thanks so much for sending them in and making this segment happen. I'll do this again sometime. I had a lot of fun picking these apart. Um, that's it. I'm done. Thanks for listening. Uh, you probably noticed at the beginning of this this episode, there was an ad roll that I read. I read that. I actually wrote it too. Most of it. Some of it. Um, I'm not going to get too preachy about ads. But, you're, you know, I know people roll their eyes at advertising. I, I get it. I'm not going to advertise things that I don't use or can't vouch for. So you're not going to get an ad for something that I don't agree with, that I don't use, that I don't like. 
Anchor is a service that I really, really like. Um, I've used it for this show. I used it for a show in the past. They're tremendous. It's a free resource that's if if anyone is interested in starting a podcast, I really recommend using using Anchor. It's just it it simplifies the process. Now they're getting this ad for free. That's not even fair. Um, the ad's only thirty eight seconds long. I tried to keep it as short as I could. It had to be at least thirty seconds. I hope you can stomach it. Again, I'm not doing this podcast as a brand, so this podcast is an extension of me, and therefore the advertisements are too. So you'll only hear things that I can vouch for. All right, I'm done. We went almost an hour. That's wild. Uh, find me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian at rabbit Habs for the blog slash place where I keep this podcast. Uh, the music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is a track called inside by Fred mug. Check the description for a link link to his Bandcamp page to listen to his other stuff, like a new album called multimedia. All right, guys, thanks for sending in the questions. I'll see you next week. Bye.